the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Listeners, welcome today, Nick Patterson, PharmD. Nick recently gave a lecture at our Phoenix meeting titled Postoperative Pain Management. Nick, thanks for being on our podcast. Thank you for having me. Let's move on to non-pharmacological treatments. You had mentioned TENS unit playing a role, and we're talking again about postoperative pain management. Talked about using a TENS unit and other kind of treatments, massage, acupuncture, don't really have proven benefits. What are your thoughts on that non-pharmacologic management? With TENS units, if the patient can afford them or if insurance will pay for them, TENS units have shown to be effective if you're able to put the TENS unit on or around the site in which the incision is taking place. It has shown to work pretty well, but the cost is going to be something that will decrease most patients being able to utilize it. And that's the problem with massage therapy or your uh, cold therapy or anything else. We can always put ice on an area. That's no problem. But when you're talking about a game-ready device, something that circulates an alcohol-cold water mixture around the site, that can be pretty expensive for most people to pay for. When my mother-in-law tore her ACL and she had to have one of those devices, I mean, it's several hundred dollars to rent it if your insurance doesn't pay for it. Most of the evidence out there says, if you want to use it, there's no data that says it's going to be bad for you to use, but it's always going to be cost prohibitive. I remember working with a shoulder surgeon and they had this little thing that came out, a little squeeze bulb. It looked like a JP Jackson Pratt kind of bulb and Mm -hmm. it had a little tube that attached and it was almost like a little IV, but it wasn't an IV. It was a drip that you would put into, say, the subacromial space or, Mm -hmm. you know, the knee or whatever. Man, I can't tell you how many problems we had with that because they always came (laughs) out and it always leaked and it made the bandages soiled and what a nightmare that was. (laughs) And then we had another one, kind of a tinge unit, but it was some other kind of little stimulator and they were supposed to get it quote unquote for free. And Mm -hmm. after such amount of time, we were finding that this company was billing insurance a ton of money for these things. So it's just, yeah, it's just interesting how that stuff works. They have a TENS unit and they have something called a PINS unit. Have you ever seen a PINS unit? I have not. So a TENS unit, you know, is transcutaneous. PINS unit is percutaneous. So what it is, it looks so weird. It almost looks like um, a Velcro, but it's like a thousand pins in a little patch and you push it into the skin. So it actually goes under the top layer to develop the electrical stimulation. Cool. I, I Yeah, I haven't seen one of those. It sounds like a, yeah, I, a good thing. I had a patient a few years ago that came up from the University of Kentucky. He goes, how do I get more of these? It's like, I have never seen that before. It was very interesting and it hasn't really caught on, but it's just an uh, interesting little side note of some things you see. Gotcha. All right. Special considerations of postoperative patients. And you'd mentioned some of these elderly patients, the kidney disease. Can you please go over some of that? When we're talking about pharmacological intervention for postoperative pain management, what are some special considerations? When do we need to be cautious and manage our dosing and that sort of thing? So let's start with our elderly population. I think they're the most important to start with because a majority of orthopedic surgeries, you're going to have uh, quite a few of those patients around. So just know that they're going to be more sensitive to any medications out there, specifically opioids or uh, gabapentinoids as well. Clonidine given during surgery or for regional block could, if it leaves that joint, it could cause a lot of big changes in blood pressure, heart rate, that kind of thing. So always go lower doses, start with your most conservative medications first and move forward with that. With obese patients, they're always going to have a lot of complications associated with them. 
because harder to find landmarks due to regional nerve blocks. A lot of obese patients are going to have trouble with sleep apnea, so oxygenation is always going to be a concern. And depending on the patient, we will a lot of times believe that if they are larger, they're going to have trouble doing physical therapy and a lot more post-operative complications just in general, including uh, failure of wound healing and whatnot. But with our obese patients, we have to be much more cognizant that opioids will cause that respiratory depression to occur. And we do have the concern that you'll have a higher failure of nerve blocks, although Duke University showed in their research that the nerve block increase, the increased risk of nerve block failure happened usually when you had a BMI greater than 35. And that was because you lost sight of the landmark as you were inserting it. So more conservative with your opioid medications and a lot more diligence in putting in your nerve blocks with that patient population. And then finally, with your renal patients. Believe it or not, renal patients don't change much what you do prior to surgery, unless their creatinine clearance is less than 30 mils per minute. A lot of times your preoperative meds that you will use, your Celebrex, your acetaminophen, your pregabalin or gabapentin really don't change that much, but it will change what you're able to give them postoperatively because your gabapentin or pregabalin is going to be dose based on what that renal function is, either once a day or maybe twice a day. Plus, you would really want to avoid using meperidine, using morphine, or using hydromorphone if possible, because you will get accumulation. And we don't use much meperidine or Demerol anymore, but in that patient population that has very low renal function, you actually accumulate accumulation in norepinephrine, which is going to increase the chance of seizures. Can you still get meperidine? I thought it was, uh, I didn't think you can get it. Maybe it's just IV form. I, I didn't IV form is it. not available anymore, but it can be rough. I know the anesthesiologists really like meperidine because uh, decreased risk of rig- or, you know, treatment for rigors after surgery, but IV meperidine isn't available. We still can get uh, PO meperidine at this time. You can't get the tried and true mepricant fortis anymore either. That was the meperidine promethazine combination. That was no longer available. Oh, yeah. I wrote that many times back in the day. Nick, we have covered a ton of stuff and hopefully had some entertaining thoughts along the way. Do you have any other thoughts for our listeners? Any other hurls of wisdom you'd like to pass along to our PA audience? I think the big one is I really enjoyed working with my physician assistants. And believe it or not, I learned so much coming to this conference about what PA orthopedic surgeons do in general. And so knowing that I love the fact that we, we used to think of physician assistants doing this one thing, but you guys have spread out and practiced to the top of your license to do as much as possible out there. And I am hugely in awe of any profession that can do that and keep moving forward and keep doing as much as possible. So I commend you guys greatly for that. That, that just impresses the heck out of me. Well, we appreciate that. We appreciate you coming on, spending some time and talking to our listeners about operative pain management. And thanks for coming to our meetings and helping us with our presentations. And thank you for being on our podcast. Thank you, sir. Very good. Nick Patterson, clinical pharmacy practitioner, PharmD. Hi, listeners. This is Sam Dyer, and I'm interrupting today's interview to remind you our annual meeting this year is called Ortho and Indy. It's from August 21st through August 25th. The venue is the JW Marriott, and we currently have a room block for PAOS attendees. And then if you'll look at the brochure on paos.org website, you'll see all the quality content that we have. Not only do we have world-class speakers, we have workshops, optional mini sessions, food, 
social events. There's just tons of things going on. We hope to see you there.